welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Galatians chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there. How many of you guys know the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Anybody? Let me see your hand if you know that story. Okay, we've, we've known that story. It's like part of American culture. If you're, if you're not familiar with the actual book, it's about 150 years old now. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a story about a doctor living in England, and he has this problem. He's a doctor. He has this high social status. He thinks that he should live a certain way, but there's something within him that makes him kind of like go the opposite direction. The, the book doesn't describe exactly what it is, but he has these like these dark desires that do not match who he is as Dr. Jekyll. Now, Dr. Jekyll goes out and he decides he's going to fix this. Being a doctor, he thinks medicine fixes everything. And so he creates this medication, which he thinks is going to help him stomp out these dark desires in his heart. But the medication has the exact opposite. It actually transforms him into another person called Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde is the mental and physical manifestation of all of those dark things in him. We might call Mr. Hyde today a sociopath, something that we're unfortunately a little bit too familiar with in America. And so this whole story is about Dr. Jekyll wanting to do the right thing, wanting to be an upright, an ups, upstanding citizen in his country, and battling this Mr. Hyde that just keeps coming out of him again and again and again. Do you ever feel like that a little bit? Like, like there's the you that you want to be and the you that God is making you, but sometimes there's just part of you that, that doesn't want to do the right thing. Part of you that has dark desires that, that we wouldn't talk about in church. And if you're having problems nodding your head to that, I'll go ahead and admit it from up here. That's, that's me sometimes. I have a really hard time being Pastor Brian, and then sometimes there's just Brian creeps back into my life. And I think that all Christians deal with that to a particular extent. We started a new series last week called Cats and Dogs, and we're kind of looking at this division that we're experiencing in our society and what the Bible says about it. And basically the problem with our society is that we're different, which shouldn't be a bad thing, but it kind of tends to be a bad thing in the way that we relate to it. Some of us are cats and some of us are dogs, and, and, and we end up fighting with each other over these differences that we have. And Christians, we try not to. We're, we're like Dr. Jekyll. We, we want to live the right way. We want to stay pulled out of it. We don't want to deal with the same sins that the rest of the world deals with. We don't want to deal with the same anger that the rest of the world deals with. We don't want to deal with the same rage that the rest of the world has. But in the moment, we kind of get pulled into this division of our society. We get pulled into attacking people and defending ourselves in attack. Well, the good news is that this is not new in Christian history. Paul is addressing this nearly 2,000 years ago in the church in Galatia. In this church, you have Jews and Greeks coming from two separate backgrounds with different ideals of what it means to be a follower of Christ. They're all baby Christians. They're all learning together. And Paul describes their relationship to each other as biting and devouring each other. I would call it fighting like cats and dogs. And, and Paul is now attempting in Galatians chapter 5, he's attempting to address the problem. 
Uh, one of the things that we have an issue with is we tend to address the symptoms of a problem. If I get sick with the flu, I'm going to go buy a lot of medicine that does nothing for the flu, but it fixes the symptoms. The, Paul knows that you can't just fix the symptoms of division in the church. You can't fix the symptoms of division in the world, and you can't fix the symptoms of anger. You've got to go to the cause if you're ever going to stomp it out, just like we need medication to get rid of the cause of a virus. And so Paul is addressing this, and he, and he introduces us to something last week called the flesh. And if you want to put it simply, I call the flesh this. It's a me first, everybody else attitude. And that's what we're born with. When we are born, we come into this world, me first, everybody else second. I learned that about six months ago. Coming into this world, Oakley did not care when we wanted to sleep. When she wanted it, it was her first, mommy and daddy second. Everybody's experienced that, right? We, we kind of know what that's like. That's just how we come into this world. And unfortunately, most of us don't grow out of it. I, I, can't, I can't help but say it. It's in the world. There's a lot of me first, everybody else second. In followers of Christ, there's still a lot of me first and everybody else second. And that's, that's where we get the division and the problems that we have in the world is that everything in the world we think belongs or revolves around us and we try to express everything that way. Now for believers, we know not to get drawn into this. Like, like we know that we shouldn't fight over politics. We know that we shouldn't attack people that are different than us. We, we know the Bible says to love everybody. And, and we're supposed to go out and express that love, not just saying, oh, I love that person over there, but to serve them with actions. But in the moment when we feel attacked or when we lose our temper or when we, we feel like somebody is disagreeing with us, in the moment, we get pulled into that division that this world has for us. And, and the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that's not where believers are supposed to be. But we often find ourselves failing in the moment. Uh, let's read what Paul says about why we fail. We're in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verses, verses 16 through 18. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul starts out here, he's, he's continuing on his thought last week. The very last thing he said is be careful of biting and devouring each other unless you get consumed with one another, unless you get consumed with this fight, you get consumed with attacking other people. He said, be careful of doing that, don't do that. And this is what he says after that thought. He says, so this is what we're going to do. This is how you fix that problem of biting and devouring. This is how you fix that problem of division. This is how you fix that problem of hatred. He says, so I say walk by the Spirit. Uh, that's an interesting way of putting it. Like, couldn't you come up with something a little more practical, Paul? Like, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Is that a certain path I have to go down? Is that a certain person I have to walk with? Well, let's see if we can break it down a little bit. Number one, it starts off talking about walking. Now, walking is what we do as a, a mode of transportation. On, on a journey, you might say. And the Bible uses this an awful lot to describe our relationship with God. It says here, walk by the Spirit. We know in another place it says that we walk by faith, not by sight. We often call our relationship with Jesus Christ our walk with Christ. And so everything about this journey of life that we're going through has to do with how and where and when we move. Have you ever tried to walk somewhere that you didn't know where you were going? Anybody ever been lost in here? 
I see some smiles. There's some stories behind that. There's some family vacations that did not end happily with that. Several years ago, I had the pleasure of going to Turkey, and, and we went to an area. It's actually a biblical area called Cappadocia. And because we were from America and we're now in literally Asia, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what things there were to see. And so our professors that were with us, they hired for us a tour guide. This guy was hilarious. He, he just thought this was the biggest game in the world. He loved Americans. He hated Koreans. I don't know why. That's, he told us that every day. So I like y'all so much more than them. But he, he always had these different stories to tell us about stuff. And sometimes it was a little scary with the tour guide. Because sometimes we'd be going down a highway and he'd whip this van off and he'd start going down this little goat path. And I'm wondering, am I about to get like robbed in the middle of Asia? Because we're going out into the middle of nowhere. But it never ceased that this man who knew where he was going would take us down this path that we didn't understand. And we'd end up at this beautiful mountain lake or, or this forgotten underground city. He, he would take us to these places that we could have never found by ourselves and that we didn't know existed. Without him, I would have said we would have been quite lost in the area, maybe finding some of the big attractions. So a tour guide is for navigating unknown areas. Did you know that the, that the God of the universe sent you a guide for your walk? He did. Listen, this is our first take-home truth is that God sent a guide for your journey. God sent a guide for your journey. And that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. It starts talking about the Spirit. And we call that the Holy Spirit is the way we usually say it. The Holy Spirit is, is difficult to understand sometimes. And sometimes we just have to step out on faith and just understand that the Holy Spirit just is. The Holy Spirit is part of what we call the Trinity, the Godhead, God in three persons. We sang that this morning. It popped out of a song to me this morning. We sang that. The Trinity is part of God in three persons. God is divided into three separate parts. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're all collectively God, but they all serve separate functions at different times and different points throughout the Bible. And that sounds like really hard. It's like, how can you be one and yet be three at the same time? And the best way I know to describe that is all of us are sometimes different people depending on where we're at. Like we're different at church than we are at work and we're different at work than we are at home. We serve different functions, but we're still the same person. And in this church, I'm Pastor Brian. That's, that's what I do. I come here to teach the Bible, to learn and to strive with you guys. But tomorrow I'll go to a school where I will be Mr. Coates. I'm, I'm still Brian, but my function is incredibly different in how I relate to people there than here. And when I go home, I'm daddy. And I lay on the floor and... Uh, I baby talk. Daddy baby talks an awful lot at home, right? It's, it's the same person with three separate jobs. And that's what God is, is God is three different persons in one God. And that's the best way I know to describe it. In John 16, 13, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to listen to what he says. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, that's just another name for the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, that, sh that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Notice something here. It doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. It doesn't say, and it, when the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. It says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will show you. 
And so Jesus tells us we've got this, this guide that is for our particular journey. And this guide comes to us in this process. We, we experience, the, let me ex rephrase that. We experience this guide in a process. The, the first step of the process is when we feel something stirring in our hearts that says, I, I need something more. It's this stirring in our hearts that says, I'm a sinner and I have failed a holy God. And we hear the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came and he died to take the punishment for our sins. And we make a decision in our life. I choose to, by faith, follow Jesus Christ. And in that moment, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit comes into us and lives within us. And so that's the first part of the process is when we come to know Christ, we are given the guide. It's, it's, not, it's not a maybe you'll get the guide in the future. It's in the moment that we come to know Christ, the guide is with you. And the guide is always with you. That's why the Bible says your body is a temple. It's because the Holy Spirit lives within followers of Christ. Well, the second part of this process is that this guide then begins to influence you. What good does a guide do if they sit in the back seat of the bus and say, I don't know where we're going, you figure it out. The guide then tells us which way to go on this journey through life that we have. It tells us, it guides us on this walk that we have. I, I, I dealt with this this week, a little bit of guidance from the, Holy, from the Holy Spirit that I didn't really understand really until this morning. Um, Friday was 9-11. Everybody is aware of that. And, and it's a day of like great mourning for our country, but it's also kind of a day of celebrating that we overcame. And so it's just a very emotional day for, for, for Americans. And I read this article several years ago that just popped into my mind uh, Friday morning. So I went and pulled it up and it was this, this article of all the people that surrounded George Bush during, um, during that day and telling about the movements of George Bush. It takes like two and a half hours to read. And I thought, this is the most amazing article I've ever read. And so that night I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that out on my social media. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with everybody and tell them what I liked about him, what I learned about President Bush. And it's all of these quotes from all these people telling what happened that day. And as I was typing up what I liked about it, I, I just I had this reminder pop into my head. This has a couple of cuss words in it. And like out of all the things in the world, that's a, that's a really small thing, right? So I kind of struggled with that. It's like, you know, it's a 2,000-word it's a article, and it's got two bad words in it. Um, it's probably going to be okay. So I thought I would put a disclaimer in there, and I'll just put, you know, it has a couple bad words in it, but it's, it's quotes from people that were living through 9-11, and, uh, you know, ignore that. And I thought, I'll do that. And then as I continued to type and I was getting ready to post, I heard something inside of me say, does this glorify God? And that's something I'm really big on. So that caught me aback. It's like our social media is, is, a, is, a, is our voice. And that something inside of me said, does this glorify God? Are you using your voice to glorify God or not? And I kind of fought that a little bit. I was like, it's, it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a real small thing. But what I've learned this morning after I gave into that and as I was studying this and I was thinking, that's an example of the Holy Spirit within us trying to influence us. It's a very small, still voice that comes in and it reminds you of Scripture. Have you ever been in a moment and all of a sudden a Scripture just pops into your head? You didn't do that. Maybe you memorized that. Maybe you heard it in a sermon 10 years ago. Maybe you read it one time, but all of a sudden a story or scripture pops into your head and it applies exactly to what you're dealing with. That is the Holy Spirit prompting you and influencing you. Now in that moment, we have the ability to obey or disobey that prompting. We can go where the God tells us or we can do what the other, or go the way that we want to. And so the third step of this process of the Holy Spirit is that we begin to pattern our life after what the Holy Spirit 
tells us to do. It becomes not just a moment-by-moment case. It's a lifestyle where the Holy Spirit prompts us to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to make certain decisions, and we make the decision, I'm going to follow that small, still voice within me. And our, our life begins to be molded to this pattern of what God wants us. And that's what it means to walk by the Spirit is when we start to allow that, that guide to tell us where to go and what to do in every single moment of every single day. Paul tells us this. He says, you will not fulfill, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, that's a, that's a pretty strong word. Like, lust is one that, like, jumps out of the Scripture at us. We, we know what that means. We know what it means when it comes to lusting after something. It means I see something and I want it. I decide I need something and I'm going to get it. And so Paul says that, that the secret to not following our desires is walking with the Spirit, allowing the God to be with us. Now, in the moment of that influence, when we, when we have that moment where the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, you know, is that the way you want to go? Drops a scripture in us, and it's like, that scripture tells me not to live this way or, or not to make this decision. We are going to go one of two ways. We're going to go the way that we want to go, or we're going to go the way that <clears throat> we're going to go the way that the Spirit encourages us to. You know, I failed at that a lot. I failed at the Spirit leading me one way and me going the opposite direction. Am I the only one who's done that? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one who's done that. We all do that. Have you ever noticed this about the lust of the flesh, though? That you never actually fulfill the lust of the flesh? Like, like when you want to do something, if you, if you let your temper go, it doesn't make you feel better. It just makes you matter. If, if God says not to do something and you do it anyway, it doesn't make it go away. It just makes you want it more. And so the Holy Spirit, most of the time, is trying to protect us, not just from, not just from what God says is right and wrong, but from things that, he doesn't, uh, things that will hurt us. Now, society has kind of given ourselves over to this, just going into whatever I want at any particular moment. And that's why we see the attacks. That's why we see the anger, and that's why we see the division in our society. But Paul says here, if you will allow the process to take place in your life, that will start to die in you. Now, this is something we must notice here, is Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to people who already have that spirit within them, and so what he is saying in this moment is that some of you have the Spirit. You've made the decision to follow Christ, but you have made, not made the decision to follow him at every moment of your life. And many, many Christians get to that point where we accept Jesus Christ as our salvation. We accept him as our Lord. But when we get to step two, we tend to fight those directions. We tend to fight that particular guidance. And that brings us to our second take-home truth. And so this leaves us with a question. If Paul says that if we want to kill the lust of the flesh, that we have to walk by the Spirit, how do we win that battle? How do we come to the point where we, get to, where we are going to follow God no matter what? Not, not when it's easy, but in the moment when it's difficult. There's an old Cherokee proverb that speaks of a grandfather sitting and talking to his grandson. And, and he explains to his grandson the battle of good and evil. He says, within every man... There are two dogs, and these dogs fight nonstop. One is the dog of good, and one is the dog of evil. And every man is conflicted between this fight between good and evil. Now, that's not the, we're not going to get like Cherokee theological in here, but doesn't that kind of sound a little bit like what we've been talking about, like there's a fight going on within us? 
after some thought, the grandson looked at his grandfather and he said, Grandfather, which, which dog wins? How do we know which one's going to win? How, how do we get the good dog to win and the evil dog to lose? And the grandfather says, the dog that wins is the one that you feed the most. The one that wins is the one that you feed the most. And for us, with this battle between the flesh and the spirit inside of us, the one that wins is going to be the one that we nurture the most. If we nurture our desires for the flesh to do what we want to do, to attack people, to fight and have division, guess what we're going to have in our life all the time? fighting and attacking and division. But if we nurture the spirit and allow it to grow and allow it to work in that process in us, we will crucify the flesh, as the Bible puts it. Our last take-home truth is this, is when we are close to God, we don't own our actions anymore. When we are close to God, we don't own our actions anymore. Paul, Paul goes on and he explains this and he explains, you know, you've got the spirit warring against the flesh, the flesh warring against the spirit, and he ends it with this. He said, the point of what the, the spirit is doing is it's keeping you from doing what you want. So that, let me read the exact words. Let me read the exact words here. It says, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. That is the goal of the spirit within us. And listen to me, if you are a true follower of Christ, I promise you, you will have a day when that flesh is going to win. You're going to have a day when you fail. I'm not going to get up here and demand perfection out of you or tell you that you should demand perfection out of yours. That's what grace is for. God loves us even in our failures. But a true follower of Christ will not have a pattern of failures. And this is where we as the church have begun to slack off and where we have begun to mess up is we have begun to accept that somebody can be a Christian and never have the spirit within them win the battle. See, following Christ by definition means that I don't get what I want. Following Christ means that I don't get to choose the direction of my life. It means I don't get to do the things that I want to do. It means that I have given my life to him. The Bible says that we are bought with a price. God has bought us. He owns us and he controls us when we accept his gift. And if we will allow the process of the spirit working within us, something begins to happen. Is that we may from time to time fail and let the flesh win, but guess what? We will never find joy in it. How many times have we as Christians ignored the Holy Spirit's promptings not to do something and we went ahead and did what we wanted to do anyway and then for the next four days, how do you feel? Just horrible. There's no joy for a Christian in living in the flesh. As a matter of fact, coming into contact with Jesus Christ changes our definition of joy. And when we are followers of Christ, we find joy in things people can't understand. I used to hate coming to church. When I, when I was little, not, not last week, when I was little, I used to hate coming to church. I thought, man, we're going to sing, and somebody's going to get up there and talk, and then it's just going to be stuck all the time. My family wants to talk to everybody in the church. I'm not going to get any lunch. I used to hate it. But as I've grown older, you know what my favorite thing to do in the week is? It's to be here with y'all. It's to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ and talk about how great God is. There, there was a time in my life when prayer was just something I did when I needed something. I, God, I got, a, I got a police officer behind me, that whole, you know, 55, 60 thing. Um, it'd be nice if I didn't get a ticket. I don't want my family to know. There, there was that time in my life. But now prayer is something that I enjoy and I look forward to every day and I get lost in talking to God and expressing to Him what it is about my life that's bothering me and I get lost in celebrating Him. I don't like to sing. 
I have a horrible singing voice. You know, my favorite thing to do is turn the radio on in the truck where nobody can hear me and just belt out worship songs and, and sing to Christ all the time. That's where a follower of Christ finds their joy is in striving together and serving and teaching and loving others. And when we come into contact with that kind of joy, the flesh will never satisfy us. So the Spirit pulls us away from wants. And you may be sitting here and you may be asking, Brian, that, that doesn't sound like me. Brian, I have a lot of fun in the flesh. <laughs> Brian, no, no voice ever talks to me and says, don't do that. There's no part of me that wants to do right. I come to church and I try to pretend to be right, but there's no part of me that really desires it. I want you to listen carefully and closely. If you don't have an internal battle going on, you need to spend some time figuring out if you've really given your life to Christ. Because the Bible says that he will not allow us to stay the same. There will not be a point where we just, just decide we're going to live how we want to and get into heaven. If we don't have that battle, I would argue that we don't have salvation. See, anything that comes into the contact of joy with God will not find joy in other things. In 1914, World War I started. At that time, it was known as the Great War because there was no uh, World War II yet. In 1914, the war started. We've got a picture up here of World War I. It doesn't look like much of a war, does it? In World War I, the first Christmas came around, and, and soldiers will tell you the hardest part of being off at war is Christmas Day and thinking about my family sitting at home around a table and thinking of my children opening their gifts. And so soldiers routinely will tell you Christmas Day when you're deployed is the hardest day. During World War I, there were a bunch of soldiers from many, many countries sitting in trenches, about three foot deep, raining and cold, missing home. But in 1914, a literal Christmas miracle happened. It started with the Germans. They, they, they yelled from their trench over towards the British. They said, Merry Christmas. I tried to shoot you yesterday, but Merry Christmas. I, I hope you have a great day. And then as the day went on, the two trenches of, of these different countries, of people who had just the day before been trying to kill each other, they began to sing Christmas carols to and with each other. I'm not talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm not talking about Jingle Bells. They were singing songs that celebrated the birth of the Savior of the world, that celebrated the good news that you are loved as a human being by the creator of the universe. And around that worship service that they had in the trenches, eventually soldiers began to stand up and nobody would shoot at them. And, and they gathered two different sides of a war in an area in between the trenches called No Man's Land. It's called No Man's Land because you don't go there if you want to live. And there they had a Christmas worship celebration together. They feasted together. They gave each other gifts. They sang together. This is a famous picture of a soccer game that broke out. This is two groups of people, two groups of people that just hours before had been trying to kill each other. And so if you want to ask yourself, what's going to end the conflict within us? What's going to end the conflict in our world? What's going to end our desire to fight like cats and dogs? I'm going to ask you, what was the only thing that could end a war? It was a joy and a celebration of Jesus Christ. It was a joy and celebration of who he is and what he did for us. It's a joy and a celebration of the fact that you and I are loved by the creator of the universe, that he gave Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for you and the people around you, but you specifically. He gave all of that because he loves us more than anything in the world. 
And I've got news for you. Joy and celebration of Christ is not just for Christmas morning. It's not just for Sunday morning. It's not just for when you're around other Christians. It's for every single day in your life. And if you have not felt that joy of Christ, maybe it's time, maybe it's time to accept him. If I could have the musicians, please. This is our response time. And I never know what lands or what doesn't land or or what God's saying to you guys, but I do have a couple of questions. Number one is maybe you're sitting here and you don't want anybody to know, but I, I just don't have that battle inside of me. I've been faking it for a long time. I've, I've been making it to church. I've been pretending to be moral, but honestly, nothing makes me want to live right. I'd like to invite you up here today to just get it right with God because that tells me that you probably never knew him. And maybe for the rest of us, maybe we, we have that battle, but we find ourselves losing every single day in the moment we get to that moment and we just we let it go. I'm going to invite you to take some time to just focus while we sing on on celebrating Christ. Focus on what he did for us and focus on the joy that we have with him and making a commitment to make that part of your daily life, not your Sunday morning routine. This time is for you to pray and do what you need to do with God.